are listening to the Jersey Guys Podcast, the show that talks about hard rock, heavy metal, AOR, and West Coast music. In-depth conversation and special guests are always on tap, so settle in and turn it up. Now, here are your hosts, Tom and Mark. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Jersey Guys podcast. This is Mark Ballow. I'm here with my co-host, Tom Coyne. And welcoming back today, we've got uh, Tom's son, TJ. Uh, welcome, TJ. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Glad yeah. to be back. Yeah, definitely. We uh, we had a good time with uh, with the previous episodes that you were on. You uh, did the Black Sabbath one with us, and uh, you also did a Sticks one with us. So uh, tonight, we're going to be focusing on the band Iron Maiden. Uh, Iron Maiden is obviously a legendary new wave of British heavy metal band, uh, really doesn't need any introduction, right? But uh, we're going to talk about the band's first nine albums today, uh, starting with their debut album and going up to Fear of the Dark. And then at a later time, when uh, TJ is able to have some more time for us, uh, we're going to cover the second half of the band's career and go from the uh, the Blaze Bailey era right up to current. Uh, so that'll be down the line in the future, but uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the first nine albums today. And uh, let's get right to it. Uh, so basically, the band was around since the mid-70s, right? And uh, they didn't record and release their first album until uh, 1980, which was the uh, the self-titled debut album. And uh, TJ, you want to start with this and give us your thoughts on that? Sure. So to start off, so when I would think of Iron Maiden, I think of uh, one of the all-time greatest heavy metal bands uh, that I, I know of. They are part of my Mount Rushmore of hard rock and heavy metal, along with Iron uh, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and Led Zeppelin. So I'm just putting that out there right now. They have a tremendous amount of respect for this band and everything that they have put out over the years. So when I think of Iron Maiden from 1980, again, this is uh, some pretty early stuff here. I think of a lot of aggressive songs that have both punk and prog rock sound to them. Uh, obviously, this is the start of uh, Paul Diano's career with the band. And uh, again, there's just a different sound than what we are so used to when it comes to Bruce Dickinson era that is, uh, that is to follow. So I would say a couple of notable songs on this album is uh, Running Free, Transylvania, which is an instrumental song, Charlotte the Harlot, and of course the, uh, the title track Iron Maiden. Um, but again, this, this album has a very different sound, I think, than... Um, what is to come a couple of years down the road with Bruce Dickinson, but this is a great album. Very aggressive songs, like I mentioned, uh, very fast-paced, heavy. Uh, and I think there's only eight songs on this album, if I'm, if I'm right. Nine. Nine. Nine songs. <laughs> but who's counting? Who's counting? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a great album. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely, I mean, it like you said, you know, it's, it's Paul Diano. He was on the first two albums, obviously a different sound for the band. Uh, like you mentioned, I always thought there was a little more of a punky thing going on in those first couple albums. But it's funny because I think if you'd uh, ask Steve Harris, he'd be like, you know, no way, we're not punk, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but that's kind of, it definitely was there. I mean, you could but hear it in Diano. Diano was, though. Yeah. Diano was, uh, you just see his look. In his sh- image, sure. He had short hair. Yeah. In an area era that you had to have long hair, he had noticeably very short hair. Yeah, he was from a punk background. Yeah. Now, did you were you into these these first couple albums of the band, Tom? Yeah. Well, actually, my remembrance of this album was seeing it on the display rack in Zigzag as a brand new album. Okay. 
and seeing the cover, and I got to admit, the cover drew me in more than knowing much about the music. Although there was there was a buzz already in the states about who this band was, but that's my remembrance of it: of walking into Zigzag Records in Brooklyn and seeing it on the display wall of new releases. And I think TJ hit it very much on the head. It's one of the few, few if maybe only things I could ever remember that kind of fused a punk aggression and attitude with a progressive some of the songs have a even you know 42 years ago had a progressive element to them which just i think almost right out of the box very similar to black sabbath when we talked about black sabbath's first album defined the sound of this band you know and and also steve harris's bass playing which was really much different than anything we've ever heard before where a, a bass player was kind of higher in the mix than the drummer, the singer, the guitar players. Uh, it was it was very different. It was very different. The songs were, were tremendously written and catchy. And again, it had a, a punk rock aggression, but progressive song structures and chord structures. And it's it's a great album. Much, yeah. again, like Black Sabbath, after all these years, debut album hasn't dated an iota. Basically, this album had the two singles on the album were Running Free and Sanctuary. Uh, any s- other songs, TJ, that stand out to you? I like the song Transylvania a lot, and it's instrumental. Um, but I do like the fast-pacedness of that song, Transylvania, along with the Charlotte the Harlot. I think it's another great song as well. And Running Free, I think, as well, the, the, the riff in Running Free is, is really good as well, I would say. So, Tom, any songs that stand out to you? Absolutely. Prowler and Phantom of the Opera would probably be my two favorites. Uh, although all nine songs I absolutely love and, again, haven't dated one bit. And there, there is something about that early Maiden period that's still, after all these years of Bruce Dickinson, there's something about those first two albums that is very endearing to most uh, Maiden fans. And it had a great production, too. It had a really big, fat bottom end. And uh, it's it's a great record. And it's very impressive to see any band that puts out their first record where you could say 42 years after the fact. Yeah. It's still great. Well, they had a long run with Martin Birch as a producer on, right. on pretty much all the albums. Right, I think right? he all came in early... on the, the second one. Yes. No, he was, uh, uh, was he on the second one? I yeah. think yeah. the second one all the way through Fear, until Fear the Dark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, but the, the first one, you know, like you said, the first. Uh, the first one had great production. Yeah. 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 I think that was uh, Will Malone. Right. Mistaken. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, now let's move on to their second album, uh, 1981, uh, Killers. And TJ, you want to start off with that one? I, I like Killers. Um, I wouldn't say I like it as much as what is to come with Bruce Dickinson. But I know it's the first album with the new guitarist, Adrian Smith. And it's the last album with Paul Diano. Um, and again, Paul Diano, I think, was released due to a couple of siege uh, performance issues, alcohol and drug abuse and things like that. But I like this album maybe slightly better than uh, the first. A couple of songs on here that I like a lot would be Wrath um, Child. Of course, the, the bass in that song is tremendous, I think. Um, Murderers in the Rue Morgue. Um, of course, uh, the, the title track, Killers, and Purgatory. 
this is a really heavy uh, album, I would say. And it does have more of that punk feel to it than the first one. That's my opinion. Um, I agree. Yeah, it definitely has more of a punky, thrash feel to it than the first one. That's why I like it slightly better than the first one, just because it's a little more fast-paced. But I think it's a great album, of course. I know my dad's a huge fan of Killers. Yes. If you want to go ahead and share your opinion on that one. Yeah, th- this was this was a different animal than the first album. It was really aggressive, uh, in-your-face, terrific songs, very punchy, um, and I, I yes, had a little bit even more. The first album had some songs that had that that punk element. A lot of songs that didn't. This album, I think, pretty much all the way through did. It's got just some iconic songs. I mean, Killers to this day is. I don't care if you're into metal. The song Killers has to be in your top ten songs of all time. Ides of March, leading into Rat Child, Rooted, Murders in the Rue Morgue, Genghis Khan, Twilight Zone. Purgatory, Drifter, just a tremendous, tremendous, aggressive, in-your-face, yet melodic, catchy songs. The great Adrian Smith, who becomes a massive influence in Iron Maiden, is is in the band. And you could already see that this was the beginnings of some great things to come. Yeah. So now let's move on to the third album. Uh, We have Number of the Beast. Now, this is the first album, obviously, with Bruce Dickinson. You know, you want to start with that, Tom? Do you have uh, thoughts on that one? We'll start with you. Yeah, well, this is an album that I think I've, in some of our other podcasts, talking to to different uh, band members that we've interviewed, always referred to this as the game changer in 80s hard rock and, and metal. This brought everything to another level. I, I feel if the, the entire decade of the 80s, this was the single most influential album Probably next to the, after that, I would probably say the Queensryche EP would be the second after this. But this was the most influential record because they now brought in a singer that not only had the vocal chops more so than, than Deano, right out of the gate was a, was, a, was a pro, and you could see that they were on another level. And I remember when the day this album came out, because it was so highly anticipated. And just from looking at the cover of it at 1982, now granted, it's not 2022. 1982, this cover was game-breaking. It really was, because it was devil stuff, scary stuff in your face, and nobody was really willing to accept all of this in, in modern rock and roll at the time. It was very aggressive, very powerful, and I always allude to this, and it's nothing that I've ever read. It's nothing that I'm grabbing off of somebody. It's my own opinion, having grown up and lived through this era. I feel this album, because of its greatness, started the whole thrash um, death metal movement because you just could not top this. You just couldn't top it. You couldn't get heavier. You couldn't get more in your face. You couldn't get better album art. You couldn't get better playing. You couldn't get a better singer. So bands started to feel like, how do we top this? Well, we got to do something totally different. We got to play faster. We got to sing scarier. We have to, we have to do something to top Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, it's, it's the greatest album in terms of changing the whole scene at that time of the, of the decade from 82 to, say, 91 moving forward. Well, to give you an idea of how big this album was, in 2017, it was ranked number four on the Rolling Stones list of 100 greatest metal albums of all time. There you go. Number four. Mm. That's pretty big. Right. 
this is the first album that I was introduced into the band. I mean, I didn't really know much of the first two albums when I started listening to Iron Maiden. I really jumped into it when it came to Number of the Beast. Um, so I kind of had to do my research and look back before this album to the first two albums to really dig deep into this band and see what's out there more than, you know, Number of the Beast. But I, like I said, when I first got into heavy metal, you know, listening to Iron Maiden, this is the album that like I was brought into, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny you mentioned all the satanic stuff that's on the cover and you, you think of 666, mm-hmm. Number of the Beast, all that right. stuff. And that brought a lot of controversy into the United States. Oh, yeah. Not so much UK, but the United States. Exactly. Uh, I know a lot of their tours that, that uh, Iron Maiden Huge did. Boycotts. And, there was a lot of boycotts right. and demonstrations mm-hmm. outside of the... Um, of the arenas and stuff like that. And it's funny, again, mentioning all this this stuff with the satanic things. I remember playing this song in the car and my girlfriend was sitting in the passenger seat and the number of the uh, number of the beast comes on and you know you have Bruce Dickinson screaming six, 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 you know, all this stuff. And she's like, What is this? What are you listening to? I'm like, it's Iron Maiden. Number of the Beast, all right. Uh, but yeah, no, seriously, for people that on the outside, when they looking looking in, it's like, what what are you listening to? Like, oh, this is like this is scary, you know. But no, this is a great album. Like diving into like what's really here. Children of the Damned is probably top 10 for me when it comes to Iron Maiden songs that I I really love. And that song was actually inspired by Black Sabbath's Children of the Sea. Right. I've, yes. I've heard yes. that. Yes. Yeah. So again, Number of the Beast is such a trademark song, legendary stuff. Uh, Run to the Hills, very bassy, uh, fast-paced song. How Be Thy Name and The Prisoner. Or songs I especially Prisoner is love. a great song. Yeah. It's taken from the British uh, spy show called The Prisoner. It's it yeah, it's a great it's, it's a, a great good song. Gangland, how will be thy name? And, and I I just wanted to, to say before we do move on to the next record, this is the one and only record that has what I consider the best Iron Maiden lineup because Adrian Smith was in. And it was the last album with Clyde Burr yeah, on drums. One. And I love Clyde. Nothing on Nico McBrain, but I love Clyde Burr's drumming. And this was his last album in the best. So this was not only one of their best albums and an iconic album, but it was the only album that captured what I thought was the best lineup to this day of Iron Maiden. Yeah. The song Gangling itself, I'm not I'm not huge fan of. I mean it's a good song, but I'm not like wild about it, I would say. That's the one pick I would have with this with this album is that one song. But yeah, this this album did have so much success in both the UK and the United States. I, it was a game changer. I, it was, I'm yeah, telling you. You could see I, it just I, by the I numbers. I lived through the release of this and it was a game changer. It had every, and I can only speak for the States, it had every band on the States on their heels. Like, what the hell do you do with this? And all the guys that we've interviewed, myself and Mark, yeah. have all relayed to this this album. Also some of the, the late 70s Judas Priest albums and this this Maiden album in particular as being the albums that really got them focused on what they wanted to sound like. No, for sure. So now we're three albums in. Uh, the first album was Bruce, Bruce Dickinson. And now we move on to the second album with Bruce Dickinson, uh, 1983. The band kind of started rap, rapid fire there, 80, 81, 82, 83. So in 83, we have Peace of Mind. Uh, this is the first album, as you mentioned, Tom, with Nico McBrain. Right. Uh, Clive Burr had left at that point. And uh, do you want to start with this one or? TJ will start. Let TJ start. I like Peace of Mind. Not as much as Number of the Beast, but I think it's a tremendous album, though. So 
this album had a lot of again more darker sounding songs um again the song still life which is i would say my second favorite iron maiden song of all time it's my face my first your first right. my <laughs> second um but you had told me about that song mm -hmm. not too long ago and i didn't know right. about it and you say the check the song yeah. out mm -hmm. and next thing you know i'm listening to it in the gym every time i go in the and gym it's kind of a it's, deep track you know like yeah when, when i see things on facebook when people just say oh you know what's your favorite iron maiden? nobody puts i put still life one time and there were like 20 people People that were like, whoa. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. looked up the um, the meaning behind the song, and that's what I found. Two people were saying, like, this song is, like, so underrated. Yeah. No one talks about it, and I don't understand why people don't talk right. about it. Uh, but it talks a lot about suicide and jumping to a pool of demons and drowning yourself. So, it's, it, again, it's a very dark-sounding song. Uh, you can just tell by the lyrics, but it's, it's tremendous. It's very, um, again, very fast-paced, very heavy song. But there's other songs I hear that are a little bit longer that I also like, Where Eagles Dare. It's a great song. Flight of Icarus. Diary to Boots on, I like a lot. I've known that song for a while, but Absolutely. that's that's a really, really good song. And of course, the trademark song of this album, The Trooper. Right. I mean, you can't really, there's not many songs that could top The Trooper. But the, the problem that I have with this album is the last three songs. I think it falls me. off I, a little I, I, bit. I always thought that too. It falls off a little bit. It falls bit off a little bit with the songs Quest of Fire, Sun and Steel, and To Tame a Land. Those songs, I think it kind of falls off a little bit. They kind of just you know, meander on and on. Nothing really happens, in my opinion, with those songs. They're just kind of there for filler. It's really the other songs that carry this album as a whole. It's a great opinion. album, one through six, and folds off a little bit. Questify is Sun and Steel. The Tame Land is, is is okay. It it has, like I said, one through six. It's, again, I have to go back and compare it to what we did, the Black Sabbath discography. And the Black Sabbath third album kind of felt the same way that I feel about this album. Not quite as as good as before it, but very strong album. Folds off a drop at the end. It's it's a very good record. And and it, it Revelations, Die With Your Boots On, The Trooper, Still Life. Yeah, it, it's, it stands up really well. It, it did reach number three in the UK album charts and received platinum certification in the UK and North America. So just to show you how much this album had success in the in the past. Is, no, and, is and mind you, they still had not really broken the stage yet. They they were not an arena band in the states mm -hmm. at the time. They were uh, a band that would play like you know places I guess more like similar to the Beacon Theater or open up or be in a three uh, a three band bill. This was. You could see that they were going in that direction, and they were already in arena act in a lot of European countries, but they had not broken the states yet, big time, with, with this album. That was to come on the next album. Yeah. Well, that next album is album number five, uh, and that would be Power Slave, uh, released in 1984. Uh, again, you know, the band every year putting out a new album. This album, I, I like it a lot. I mean, from my standpoint, and I, I, I can't say I'm a huge, you know, Maiden fan. I mean, this stuff came out a little bit before. I was a little young with the first number of albums. But I don't know, Power Slave, I, I really tend to like a lot. Uh, TJ, what are your thoughts on this one? I'm going to agree with you. I just made a face, too. I'm like, I agree with you, but I know my dad doesn't agree as much. But we'll get there. Okay. I love this album. I absolutely love it. The songs are, are a little bit longer on this album than the previous. But what is here, I think, is is very, very, very heavy stuff. Um, when you look at the song Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, for example, that's a 13-minute song, 13-minute long song, Yeah. right? And that wasn't passed until 30 years later when the band puts out Empire of the Clouds from the 2015 album Book of Souls. Mm -hmm. That was 18 minutes long. So it goes to show you that this is right. this album was like, they changed it up a little yes. bit. They made the songs a little bit longer. But this, the song on, on this album that puts it over the edge for me is Aces High. 
I love that song, Aces High. And that's it's about um, the Battle of Britain. Um, so it's a World War II uh, themed song. And from the very minute it starts to the very last second, it's it's just intense. It's heavy. It's fast paced. It's I think Dickinson's vocals on that song too is through the roof. That is my favorite Iron Man song of all time. Again, other songs on here as well: Two Minutes to Midnight, Flash of the Blade, title track Power Slave, The Duelist, and Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I don't think there's really much out there that could top this album. There is one that's to come, but this is one of my all-time favorite Iron Maiden albums of all time. You, you and a lot of people, I guess. This album blew through the roof in the States. This is their first time around doing major arenas, which they sold out throughout the entire country. Did the famous video in um, in California, Pro Shot video. Yeah, this this album put them over the top in, in, in terms of their state. This was the first huge stage presentation that they had done, that they became famous for their, their stage presentation. Yeah. Uh, this was the album that put them over the top as a worldwide heavy metal phenomenon, by far. It, it broke the states massive. And yeah. um, I don't dislike... Dislike it? I it, I think out of the shoot, Aces High, Two Minutes to Midnight, great. Uh, there's some songs after that, Duelist, Flash of the Blade, uh, Back in the Village. I, I never thought were particularly great songs in, in terms of how great Iron Maiden are. I was not a big fan of Power Slave, the song. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, fantastic, one of their best songs. You know, rated as an album overall you know mediocre to good but for its impact on the united states and winning over the states and becoming an arena act i give it a lot of kudos the one song i will agree with you on is back in the village it's it's definitely the weakest in my yeah. opinion of the that duelist, album i'm not a big fan the of. duelist is good flash of the blade i think has a really good riff to it um and of course two minutes to midnight is just a legend legendary yeah no song. the That's first first couple of songs are, song. are great what do you guys think about, I'm going to throw this at you, uh, album cover on this one. It's a little different, right? I mean, up till the beginning, you know, right. up yeah. in the beginning part, you had, you know, the Eddie thing with the scary, you know, right. the city scenes and the, you know, the hatchet. Right, it was the first the album where they kind of deviated and now a little you got bit. The, the whole Egyptian the scene Egyptian, and the pyramid. Right. You know, I dig Eddie's it. in there. Right. No, I like the tip. You know, the I like Egyptian it. I, and I love the stage setup that they had on on this album, too. You know, like the uh, the whole thing with that, the Egyptian and, yeah, no, it, I'm not knocking it in any way. In, in fact, in terms of the importance of Iron Maiden albums, it's probably one of the two or three most important albums of their career. No, I would agree with that. So now we move on to album number six. For the first time in a band's career, they don't release an album one year later. Right. This one is now 1986, and so it's two years after the Power Slave album. We have Somewhere in Time. And, and the reason for that is because of the extent they were so of, the, huge. You know, of the U.S. Yeah, tour. Yeah, the, the, the massive tour. Right, that that, that, that's that the reason there sure. were two full years in between records because they were on tour for over an, uh, a year. Sure. So, uh, TJ, what do you want to say about uh, Somewhere in Time? Somewhere in Time is my favorite album by Iron Maiden. Again, spoiler alert. Um, but I think they changed their sound a lot when it came to this album. Well, they started using those like guitar synthesizers. Guitar synths, yes. regular oh, synths, yeah. keyboards. That oh, was yeah. kind of their introduction right into kind of like a little bit of using the keyboard. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. That. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. Dickinson, I think, wanted to use more of an acoustic bass type of uh, song approach. And I think I have it here that he has, says that he wanted to come up with his own personal physical graffiti or Led Zeppelin 4. And I think he found it with this album right here. I do, too. There's a lot of great songs here. Again, the songs in this album are a little bit longer, but one again, another trademark song of Iron Maiden, I think, is Wasted Years. 
yeah which is on this album loneliness of the long distance runner another great song stranger in a strange land is very good that's I my favorite off the this album i, I love that song. song that is yeah. a great song and deja, deja vu, vu. And you had told me about that song not too long ago. Right. I checked it out and I was like, wow, that's again well, the vocal his time. vocals and yeah, yeah. His vocals and deja vu are Oh yeah. But yeah, I mean this is I, from top to bottom, I would say Heaven Can Wait. Heaven Can Wait. That's a great song. That's right? a good one. From top to bottom, I think it's it's yeah. just a phenomenal album. And a little nod to the previous album, actually, I think on the back of the album cover, there's a clock that reads uh, 2358 in military time, which is two minutes to midnight. Really? Yeah. So it's a cool little, uh, oh, there you go. Wow. It's a cool little thing they threw in there, you know, nodding to um, Power Slave. So yeah, no, this huh. is, this I'm, is, I'm looking a, at that right now on the album. I never even realized. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, there yeah, nice it's, it's there. It's, <laughs> it's my favorite album, I would say, by Iron Maiden. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. That's good. yeah, it's their, um, it's their Black Sabbath sabotage mm-hmm. six album in took a little bit of a different direction took a little bit of a chance and it went over big time very similar to what sabbath did in uh sabotage took some chances and it worked big time yeah to me this is their best album i've always said that anybody that knows me knows how i feel about this uh not a weak moment on it did you see the band on these tours i did this was i saw them at the garden on this tour with Wasted, fronted by Danny mm. Bourne. Yes. Um, yeah, this is, in the Iron Maiden world for me, this is as good as it gets. I'm not going to go through the songs because TJ went through a bunch of them. And yeah, there's nothing, there's not a weak note on this album. A great band uh, ascending to their pinnacle. I agree. Well, now, again, let's move on to album number seven. And again, it's it's two years between because obviously massive touring. Uh, The band's usually popular uh, at this point. But album number seven is the appropriately titled uh, Seven Son of a Seven Son. Uh, this is the album. I mean, personally, I can kind of give you little thoughts on this one you myself because it's. I saw him on this tour, but I. I mean, this is the album I probably take away as my favorite album. You know, we're gonna do at the end our mm-hmm. our you know rankings that we always do. I'm not gonna participate in that, but I can just let everybody know that that this is my favorite album of Iron Maiden. So if that means anything to anybody, but uh, TJ, you want to talk a little bit about Seven Son? So for a long time, I really didn't care for this album. I kind of just overlooked a lot of the songs. I looked at it, and I was like, oh, these songs are really long, and some of them just kind of go on and on. Anything to do with keyboards uh, being introduced into the band? Maybe that might have been it. That, yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not really sure what made me feel that way until recently. I was I, on you I, for a long time. Yeah. He album. kept pressuring me to. Songs and I'd to say, just, what did you, what'd yeah. you think? Oh, it's all right. And I'm like, come on. You're not listening. <laughs> yeah. Do you listen to it again? Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. You're not listening. <laughs> yeah, you really have to sit down and, and like have nothing to do and right. just sit there and put it in your headphones and listen to all these songs, especially the title track, Good Seven Son of the Seven Son. digested. Yeah, because they're long songs. You know, they, right. they, they do go on and on and on. But I did have a change of heart. I thought about it a little bit more. And especially the title track, Seven Son of the Seven Son, we listened to Dickinson's vocals. You know, it, it definitely changed my mind a little bit, you know, just listening to it over and over and over again. And I'm like, you know what? This album is very good. Uh, but there are, I feel like there's elements of progressive rock in there a little bit. Um, again, some of the songs are a little bit longer, but a lot of people say it's the band's best work. I know, Mark, you said this was yeah. your favorite and a lot of people, would, I'm sure out there would agree too, this was like their best album. 
I wouldn't say that, but I would say a lot of the songs in here are good. Um, the first song on here, Moonchild, is a very heavy song. I, I do like that song a lot. Evil That Men Do, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, of course. That's, a, again, a long song. It's a, almost 10 minutes out there, so it's it does go on and on. Uh, Infinite Dreams. Only the Good Die Young. That song, not too wild about it. Yeah, not too wild about it, but it, it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not my cup of tea, I would say. But I wouldn't take anything away from this album, my opinion. Well, no one's mentioning, uh, you know, Can I Play With Madness? So I mean, Which I absolutely detest. I, I knew you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah. I, I, I think a, probably a lot of Maiden <laughs> fans probably say that. the same thing, the single right? worst Iron Maiden <laughs> song of all time. But it is overplayed a lot. It's overplayed well, on the even radio. Before, yeah. like, and you know what? It, it always was. Even from back in the day, I bought this album also the day it came out in Zigzag when I came home from work. It's been overplayed from day one, and I never got why. I, I, I think because, like you said, there are a lot of longer progressive songs, and it was probably the most accessible. Well, yeah, I mean, look at the time, 1988, right? I mean, it's, right. it's more, like you said, it's very, it's, right. it's accessible, MTV, it's, it's commercial right. in a way, you know? So, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, that was kind of their stab at, you know, the 1988 I era. I guess, yeah, because the rest of the album is nothing like no. that. right. Mm. It is very proggy, uh, you know, you could see, uh, and, and not pushing too much further to more recent Iron Maiden, which will be the part two of our discussion down the road, but you could see the groundwork with Somewhere in Time and Seventh Sun was starting to be laid yeah. with the more progressive elements oh, yeah. of Iron Maiden. Yeah, where they would go right. know, later where they, on. Right, sure. yeah. exactly. Well, like, I, I mean, this was a concept album, obviously, yes. so I mean, and, and look at the, I, I love the cover, and- Having seen them on this tour, I mean, seeing that stage set up, you know, kind of the ice yeah. and the whole, all the, the icebergs and everything. And, you know, that, that was just great seeing them on that tour. I mean, that it, it, to me, it's just, yeah, I have nothing but good memories from, from this album and this tour. Yeah, no, it's a terrific album, terrific tour. Uh, again, it's another thing that they, uh, they did pro shot and put out a great DVD of. Yeah, other than Can I Play With Madness, I think every song on this is... <laughs> Is a home run. I to, to me, to me, this was 1980s Iron Maiden at its pinnacle. Somewhere in time, and Seventh Son. Yeah, yeah, that was I a agree. band that peaked. Well, now let's uh, let's move on to uh, album number eight, and this is 1990, and we have No Prayer for the Dying. Uh, TJ, uh, thoughts on that one? I would say it's a huge drop off. I mean. It's not terrible, but it just doesn't really move me. Well, now let's let's say Adrian Smith leaves, right? Right. And this is the first album with Yannick Ayres in the right. al- uh, you know on the album, so or on you know with with the band rather. And so yeah. So what were you saying? Continue. I know the song "Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter." It was successful, but I just don't like it. I just can't get behind. Well, it's not that. even an Iron Maiden song. It was a Bruce Dickinson, as me and Mark were talking about before we went on the air. It was a Bruce Dickinson solo song for a s- soundtrack. And it kind of gives you an idea of how desperate they were for material that they had to resurface that song on this album. He did yeah. that on his, on his solo tour. Yeah. That tattooed Millionaire oh, yeah. tour. He was doing that song. Yeah. Right. I know this album has like mixed to negative reviews. I wouldn't say there's a lot of people out there that like. This is some people that like it. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot to say about it, about why I don't like it. And um, there's two songs on here that I do like. You know, the title track, "No Prayer for the Dying." I think it's that's far and away the best song. That's on the, the best album, song I by mean, far. Yeah, and I do like the song "Tail Gunner." As well. That's a good song. It's a good yeah. song. It's it's pretty. Yeah, to me, that was like a real song. piss poor version of Aces High. It was like a poor man's Aces High to me. That song. Maybe because I like Aces High so much. Yeah, that's, no, I, I don't know, just, but I don't it was. Know. I, I thought it wasn't half bad, but the album itself I thought was a lot weaker than 
especially the two before it, I would say. No. Oh, it's not even the it's same hemisphere even, yeah. as those two albums. Yeah. This is one of the most precipitous drop-offs for a band, like a great band that I, I could even even imagine. And there's nothing about this album I like. Missing Adrian Smith I, I seemed significant, although there's a lot of things that did rebound on the following album. So I'm not going to say it was all because of not having Adrian Smith. They did stop using all the progressive keyboards and when mm-hmm. they kind of went down to the went more, back strip, to more basic, a more yeah. stripped down sound. The earlier sound. Yes. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't have the songs to pull that off. Uh, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. I don't really care that they wanted to go more stripped down and sound like the second or third or fourth albums. It's just the material wasn't there. And, and it was probably from burnout. They just wrote you know, two epic heavy metal albums. They've been touring so much. And it just seemed obvious that they were tired. The material wasn't there. And it's a it's a it's a listless, lifeless album to me. That's fair. I mean, hey, everybody's got their their opinions on things, and that's that's a fair statement. Mother Russia know. was. Yeah, <laughs> there's just so many holy smoke. <laughs> holy smoke is a, a single, oh, right? Terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's just oh, a man. very very tired it seemed like to seemed to be a very tired band and at the time i i attributed a lot of it to adrian smith's songwriting not being there but i can't really say that because they did really rebound significantly on the follow-up album yeah well let's let's go to that now we're we're on the last album we're going to do for this particular episode because we're covering the first nine albums which is at the point where bruce dickinson left um we know blaze bailey came in for the next two albums but we're going to talk about the the ninth studio album which is fear of the dark tom you want to start with this because you said they they did rebound yeah i thought they and i was shocked honestly when this album came out just to backtrack when when the prior album had came out in 90 I, i thought they were done you know, they lost Adrian. It was very evident at the time that Dickinson was going to leave because he had already done a solo album, yeah. had done a solo tour. There were a lot of grumblings behind the scenes that he had had enough. And I kind of thought that that was the end of it. And they shocked the shit out of me with this album because I absolutely love Fear of the Dark. I think it has got such great, strong songs on it. And it kills my whole theory of of losing Adrian Smith and, and his songwriting because I'm a huge fan of this album. And I, almost every song on it, I think, is just terrific. I, I know over the years with Iron Maiden fans, one of the grumbles about it has been that it's, you know, kind of, it's a little on the commercial side. Uh, it's it's not a lot of the, the fast, a couple of songs, but not a lot of the fast-paced, galloping Iron Maiden classic songs. But if you appreciate songwriting and great songs, this album is just chock full of them. We'll talk about the uh, the last song on the album, the title track, Fear of the Dark. Oh. Um, I mean, that to me, it almost harkens back to a little bit of like that Seventh Sun sound. Yes, it And it does, does have a little yeah. bit yes, of a, a progressive, pre- yes. progressive sound yes, to it, it right? And some of the more commercial stuff like Wasting Love. That was almost like a ballad from yes. a power ballad in yes, a way from, from Maiden, which was like And if you totally see the video, right? the video was shot like that too. Yeah. Judas Be My Guide, which is a great a song. song. We were just like talking song, about yeah. it, me and TJ. Afraid to sh- Shoot Strangers. Mm-hmm. From Here to Eternity. Childhood End. Oh my God, what a great song that is. It's a terrific 
Chains of Misery, another commercial <laughs> song. What a great hook. Great record. There's Did a you, lot here, in my opinion, because like you, you guys had mentioned the ballad that was there, Wasting, Wasting Love. Um, but there's some thrash as well, Be Quick or Be Dead. I think that's a thrashy sounding song. But then, of course, you have Fear the Dark, like the title tr- the title song itself, which kind of brings back that classic Maiden sound. Like yeah. that's a song that almost, like you said, Mark, would be from like the Seventh Son of Seventh Son yes. or yeah, any totally. of those other albums before that. It has that sound. And I, I mean, that's by far my favorite song on this this album is Fear is it really yeah yeah yes, probably me too yeah. it me is too, yeah but again you mentioned some of the songs that were that were good Fear the dark um judas be my guy and afraid to shoot strangers which is actually a anti-war song that dickinson had mentioned about and chains of misery but yeah this this album does have a lot of different sounds to it like i mentioned so i think it's really good definitely better than the one before uh with no prayer for the dying i think Fear the dark is definitely better than that album. well th- this album shut my mouth at the time about Iron Maiden because I'm a huge anybody who knows me I'm a huge Adrian Smith fan even when he was out of Iron Maiden I always thought he was the secret we- weapon in Iron Maiden with his songwriting backing vocals his t- tasty guitar playing and when he left I, I and that the album before it I thought for sure that they were sunk but the songwriting on this was extremely strong no, nonetheless Dickinson did leave. Yeah, so that that basically right, you're right. It brings us up to the point where we're 1992 now. The last album of you know with Bruce Dickinson before he left and then ultimately returned, of course. But yeah, um, that basically covers our nine albums, these first nine albums of Iron Maiden's career. And like I said, we're gonna do a part two. Uh, we're gonna have TJ back at some point when he has time, and we're gonna cover the rest of the uh, the discography from Iron Maiden. But let's go now to what we usually do here in these shows, and when we do the discography discussions, we're gonna give you rankings. So um, TJ and Tom are gonna give you their rankings of these first nine albums, and uh, you want to start, TJ? Yeah, I'll start. Uh, so number nine for me is No Prayer for the Dying. Number eight is Iron Maiden. Number seven is Killers. Number six is Fear the Dark. Number five is Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Number four is Peace of Mind. Number three, Number of the Beast. Number two is Power Slave. And number one is Somewhere in Time. Okay. I, I like oh. to go one through one through nine. So I'll start from the top. Uh, Somewhere in Time, number one. Seventh Son, number two. Number of the Beast, number three. Killers, number four. Peace of Mind, number five. Iron Maiden, self-titled, number six. Fear of the Dark, number seven. Power Slave, number eight. No Prayer for the Dying, number nine. Wow. Nice. The only similarities is one in nine, I think, for me. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is different. I, I'm sure Power Slave at eight will get a lot of Iron Maiden fans that should listen to this, uh, calling me some names. <laughs> you could handle it, I think. I could handle it. Yeah. Well, I, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give you mine. I said before, you know, number one, seven son of a seven son, for what it's worth. No, I have it as two, so I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very close to you. Yeah. So, honestly, we've talked about this. The only thing that holds me back from not making that number one mm-hmm. is can I play with me? <laughs> ah, okay. No, because like those that somewhere in, in time and Seven Son are so close to me that that one week song yeah. on that album dropped it to two. Yeah, hey, that's 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 fair. So that's acceptable. but that, to me that was their pinnacle. Those two albums, yeah, yeah. even to this day. And they've had some, when, when Dickinson returned, that album was tremendous. But we'll talk about that in, I guess, about two months' time when TJ is done with college and he'll come on as a kind of semi-third uh, member of the, yep. of the podcast. That's right. Yeah, so something to look forward to, everybody, uh, the part two when we get that. But uh hope you guys enjoyed this part one of the Iron Maiden discography discussion, uh, albums one through nine uh, from 1980 to 1992. 
uh, you know, Paul Diano and Bruce Dickinson. And like I said, we'll get into the, uh, the other albums with the next episode. And, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this one and, uh, we'll be back at you soon. Thanks a lot, TJ, for uh, guesting again. Of course. Thanks for having me guys. All right. All right. Great. Thanks guys. Take care. We'll be right back. 